Welcome everybody to the Nerd Pool Podcast, the podcast where we talk pop culture, pro wrestling, and everything else that's on my mind. So sit back, grab your snack, and listen in as I rant and rave about everything we know and love. What's up everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Nerd Pool Podcast. As always, I am your host, the fat fool that loves Deadpool. Yes, it's me. Yes, it's me. It's J-M-I-E. Your 10,966 favorite podcast host, and as always, your Sherpa down the road of nerdiness. I know, it's been months, guys, gals, chimichangas, tacos, nerd pools, nerd poolettes. Um, last time we met, I told you about my equipment going down. Got it all, I was set to go, and then my computer craps. Yeah, it has been rough for the podcast. As a one-man operation, um, just getting the computer back, just getting a computer and being able to do this again. Also, during this time... I've dealt with COVID for the second time. Uh, Ten days of pains and congestions and sneezings and coughings and hacking up all kinds of stuff that I don't really want to mention here, you know, but I survived it. I'm back and back just in time for horror month. I was back. Horror pool is back the entire month of October, as you know is dedicated to all things Halloween and horror-related. It is one of my favorite time of year. The weather is nice outside, and also there's a lot of scary and spooky stuff going on. It's just a great time to be alive in this instance. And I want to thank you all again for just bearing with me in this process. You know, um, I know I didn't put anything on social media about what was going on. I was just I, w- I was just taking a break from it all. I, w- I was just being, you know, just letting it simmer, letting it go. And I apologize for that. I should have kept you all in the loop. So if you're still with me, thank you. Um, the first episode for Nerdpool for Halloween month is going to be... I'm going to be talking about one of the, the best series of horror books that anybody in my age range has read when we were a kid. You know, when we were a kid growing up, you always had your Stephen Kings and such. But there was one writer who went on to define a genre of horror for anybody, any millennial or before us, you know, anybody from their mid-30s down to the mid-20s, the stuff that we grew up on, and that was the the literary genius R.L. Stein and his Goosebumps series of books. There were 62 Goosebumps books that he produced um, from the mid-90s to the mid-05s, 06, and so on, and... 62 books. I mean, he he was just cranking them out. It seemed like every other day or every other week we were getting new Goosebump books, and he was just cranking them. So you know, he was he was on a writing spree, and the stories were all engaging. They weren't exactly too graphic. Um, he kind of saved that for Fear Street. These were geared more towards kids, but they gave us all nightmares. They they, they gave us all a chill that ran down our spine. And they did so much that they actually produced a television show based on these books uh, that ran on Fox for years. I remember getting off, you know, every Friday when we got out of school, um, I'd run home. And when we got there, Goosebumps would just start. So that was how I started my weekend, was watching Goosebumps on Fox Kids uh, afternoons on Fridays. And today I'm going to be talking about five of my favorite, personal favorite Goosebump books. These are in no particular order. Um, I've read, I don't think I've read every Goosebump book, 
but I've read the majority of them if I haven't read every one of them. And I'd have to go back and listen to the, and look at the entire catalog to tell you. But I know I've read a lot of Goosebump books. I collected Goosebump books. I'm sure you collected them. It was something about the, the not only the story, but, but the, the artwork that went along with the books. Like the, the covers of the books were all drawn by, I believe uh, his name was Tim Jacobson. I believe Tim Jacobs. Um, a masterful artist, and he, it seems like the, the cover of it, while not only telling you somewhat what the story was about, or giving you a little glimpse of the story, was just a look into what the the book was, it gave you creatures um, to mimic, you know, Arl Stein would tell you about a creature, and you would picture it, but it seemed like he had already drew it, so you knew what the creature looked like. It wasn't just a complete guessing game. We all knew. And today I'm going to talk about him. Um, the first one I want to talk about is the first book in the Goosebump series. This is the one that kicked it off. This is the one that started the whole thing. And that, of course, is Welcome to Dead House. Um, the Welcome to Dead House book, when it started, was his take on a classic uh, haunted house book. When you read this, you can kind of see the way he describes the house. It's kind of the um, Amityville horror type house. Um, if you look at the cover of it, it just it depicts an old dilapidated house with stairs leading up to it. This story is about a family that moves to a place called Dark Falls. Um, they inherit a house from a long lost uncle that the father didn't know he has. He's going to move his family there. It's a big house. It's a gorgeous house. When they get there, the kids walking around realize there's nobody out in the streets. There's nobody in their yards. There's nobody walking dogs in this quaint little town, which usually you would think. There's always seems to be an overcast and a shadow, you know, like it's very like gray and dark and it seems like it's going to rain all the time. As they continue through the house, you know, um, the daughter starts seeing people in the house. She starts seeing what appears to be you know, uh, people that have lived there before, ghosts, entities, whatever. She's telling her parents, her parents, you know, are just thinking that she's missing home and wanting them to move back, and it's no big deal. Um, her and her brother go exploring. They meet, you know, kids. One of the kids claims that they've lived in the house, and they always, all the people there seem to be not quite right. Something's wrong with them, you know. They're, they're kind of grayish. They're not lively. And as the story progresses, we find out that at some point in the town's history, it was a thriving town. There was, you know, hundreds of people. Everybody lived together in harmony. And a local factory had released a noxious gas that turned everyone into the living dead. They turned them into zombies. And once a year, they must feed on human blood to stay alive, to basically continue their existence. And we see that they have brought in this family and tricked them to come in. Because they're going to eat this family. Um, the kids find out that the town, while it's covered in darkness, is because they can't take the light. You shine a light on them. If they see a light hit them, they turn to bones, they turn to dust. And so the kids and the family use that to actually, you know, extinguish the, the zombies that are attacking them and to defeat the zombies that are attacking them. And they're leaving... The town, as they're leaving the town, they see a another family being drawn in by the same person who drew them in and gave them the house, and they know what is about to happen. The book itself, again, it's one of the scarier books, but it's not as one of the gorier. It's more gothic, and it's more, um, it sets a tone for what's later to come, but it's not as 
colorful. It's not as bright. It's not as vivid. It's more of a just a dreary um, haunted house book. It sets a tone, but it, it as you can see, he progresses later on into kind of colorful characters and other aspects of his books. What I mean by that is if you look at the next book I'm going to talk about, which is The Haunted Mask, which I think is might be the one that most people remember. Um, the TV show, like I was saying, made this a two-part show. This was like the first big one they did, and I think this was the one that kind of took off, even in book form, that everybody was reading. It seemed to me like all my friends knew this, all my friends had this. This was the one you wanted to see. And it revolves around a girl named uh, Carly Beth, who on Halloween wants to do something scary. She wants to scare the boys that have been picking on her at school. So she goes to a Halloween um, store and finds, you know, to look for this, this terrifying mask. She goes into a back room that she's not supposed to be in, and she sees masks that are hung up. You know, the, this terrifying mask, these different looking masks, and she's lands on one, a green mask with fangs and, and it's got gore kind of dripping from the lips and she wants this. The guy won't sell it to her. He's like, you know, you don't you don't want this mask, you don't understand. And she kind of takes the mask and pays and runs. Um, when she puts the mask on, it's truly a, a terrifying mask. It's a chilling looking mask. Even the, the artwork for it is, it's just you see the, it, it kind of looks like the, um, Green Goblin from Spider-Man, the original one with Tobey Maguire. But when she puts the mask on, she comes to find out she can't take it off. The mask is basically forming to her. It's becoming her face, and the mask is kind of taking over her personality. It's making her evil. It's making her do things she doesn't want to do and think things she doesn't want to think. Um, as she goes through trying to figure out how to get this mask off, she's scared. She's running through town. She's terrorizing people that she, you know, she's not trying to. It's the mask making her. And then we come to find out the way she does it. She has to. Her mother made a um, mold of her face and kind of made her. And she has to show this mask that that's her. And that's how she ends up breaking the the spell on the mask and being able to put it away. And he did another sequel to this with a boy that's in this. Um, and it's the same tone but different. This one right here, like I said, I think a lot of people, I think this was one of the ones that everybody had. This is one of the ones that kind of scared people. The the show, when I was a kid, when I watched this two-parter, the mask itself kind of freaked me out. And just the, the, the concept of putting on a Halloween mask and not being able to take it off was kind of terrifying to me. It was one of the things that's like, oh my God, you know, could this happen? So when you're a kid, and granted, I didn't. I was, you know, I was around eight, nine, but you know, it just left an impression on me. That book left an impression on me, and then seeing it on live action left an impression on me so much that I believe that it is one of the more well-known Goosebump books, one of the more well-known in the collection, and I think most people would probably remember that one as opposed to some of the other ones on the list. Um, the next one I'm going to talk about is the, the, the cover of it is bright and colorful. You get this, you get this like blue beast hanging on a tree, showing you its palm, um, in this weird wilderland. And this is one book that I know I read, but not, I don't think a lot of people read or a lot of people I knew didn't read. I think it's one of the lesser known ones and that's the beast from the East. This story is... A tale of tag with creatures. Um, a family goes camping in the woods, as you know the 
daughter and her twin brothers go out to explore the woods. They get lost. They run into a part of the woods where they this these weird animals and weird trees and and flora and fauna and plants and everything. Um, and then they find a monster that tags her and says, "You're the beast from the east." Basically, telling her that she has to tag one of them before sunset, or they will eat her because she's the beast from the east. That's how it goes. These monsters are huge. They're big. And she befriends one that tries to help her as she goes through the forest playing this this game of life and death tag that she is involved in. Um, the story, like I said, is a lesser known story. Uh, the story isn't the best of the series, but I just think it kind of, the, the cover brought me in. And when I got the book and I read the book, it just stuck with me. You know, we've all played tag. And what if tag turned out to be a deadly game with creatures we didn't know and we weren't even knowing we were involved in it we didn't want to play in it we were just scared and lost in the woods and we get stuck playing with these these creatures from another dimension another planet whatever you want to call it and you know knowing that if we don't win if we don't beat them they're going to eat us it's a scary concept that he brings to life he gives a vivid portrayal and picture of the the planet that they're on the force that they're in um the trees the plants all that and then the beast the way he describes the beast they're colorful they're big and yet they're they have this terrifying aspect to them and rl sign does a very good job of bringing all that together to create a story of of not not complete terror but it keeps you in suspense the whole time of wondering either are they going to win or are they not going to we all know they do that's what goosebumps do you you all, you know, they, the the kids always prevail in the end. But it takes you down twists and turns of her trying to play this game with creatures who are smarter than her, bigger than her. They can smell her. They have senses that are heightened over her. And her trying to outwit them and outsmart them. And not only that, save her brothers from these beasts at the same time. Um, if you haven't read this one, like I said, I think it's one of the lesser known ones. I really, really... Uh, say you should you should read it because I think it's a good book to have with the entire Goosebumps uh, library and it's one of my favorites because it's one of the earlier ones that I read when I got into it the next one is a take on the Phantom of the Opera we all know the Phantom of the Opera story um, the lead is you know going to be going to perform he he ends up disappearing he ends up taking the opera he's a um he ends up haunting the auditorium that they're in um every time they try to do the show he you know he snatches people he takes people he tries to disrupt the show he ends up you know falling in love with his um with a star taking her trying to show his love for her while at the same time hiding his face because he's a ghastly figure this is sort of a children's take on it um it's phantom of the auditorium um, a school is putting on a play, and during that, we have mishaps that happen, people go missing, and we hear the story that originally when this play was going to be done, the lead character, Kid, disappeared and was never seen again. He disappeared minutes before they went out, and the story goes that he now lives in the auditorium, and he's there to stop them from, you know, doing the play any time that they're going to do the play. This was another one that was done on the TV show, and the 
cover of this is another one that caught me. Um, it's just a person with a phantom mask on in front of a red velvet, you know, curtain on a stage with a cape drawn over his face, and he's hiding his face. It was just something that was, I thought, looked kind of cool, and for that, I picked it up and I read it. This book, this book, I haven't reread in a while, but I remember this story sticking with me because I knew Phantom of the Opera, and as a kid, Phantom of the Opera was one of the ones that I didn't connect with. You know, it, it was plays and adults. This was R.L. Stein telling, basically telling that story for a kid generation and changing it enough to where it keeps a kid engaged in it. And this was my first foray into actually this kind of storytelling of a, a figure that was, you know, haunting a specific location for a specific thing. And it kept me engaged as a child. And um, to this day, I just remember the cover and I remember the story and I remember thinking, you know, that the Phantom of the Auditorium would have made a good movie, and, you know, that for a kid, it kept me into it. The last book I'm going to talk about, and I know I jumped real quick, but it's probably the one I wanted to talk about the most, and that's the reason I'm saving it for last, was Attack of the Mutant. Now, if you don't know this book, Goosebump book, and you're a superhero fan, this is the one that's going to draw you in. Um, Attack of the Mutant is about a boy who's obsessed with a super villain in a comic book. He's obsessed, the guy he's obsessed with isn't a hero, he's a villain. And as the kid goes on a bus ride reading the newest issue, he gets off on the wrong exit and finds himself in front of the, this character's lair, his, his home. And as the kid goes inside, he then is stalked and attacked by the character he's reading, this supervillain who is trying to kill him. Um, as he goes through the story, he finds drawings of himself, and the mutant basically is saying that he has found a new foe, and it is this kid whose name is Skipper. And as the kid goes through, he realizes that the story is being written with him as a superhero and he's vitaling uh, the mass mutant, which is the villain that he is in love with. The story goes with the mutant chasing him, him doing it, and the kid ends up getting superpowers that help him to defeat the mass mutant. And in the end, we find out that he still has the powers at the after all this has gone down. This book caught me because, again, I'm a superhero fan, and this combined two of my favorite things. This combined, you know, scary stories and horror with a superhero background, and the character looks awesome. He looks kind of like a Batman Daredevil-esque character on the cover. You know, muscular, big, and a running motion cape. Um, the way that they describe the lair seems like something a super a supervillain would have. It's a it's a book that drew me in and kept me from beginning to end, and it's one of my favorite books still to this day because of it. Because it's just it, again, it combines two great things, and the story. Why not his best story? Just the way that he's written it, the way that he is, draws you into the world of the masked mutant, the way he you know depicts these comic book type things. R.L. Stein does a good job. Of, of drawing you into that world he always has and this is just you know this is just to me a great great depiction of that it's a fun story it's a it's a spooky story 
and it's an intriguing story, and that's why I probably think it's one of my, if not my top favorite, uh, Goosebump books. Um, that's the only five I'm going to talk about today. There again, 62 books in this entire series. Uh, let me know, you know, on on Twitter, social media. Let me know what some of your favorite Goosebump books are. What some that maybe you read that you don't think I read or you think are underrated, or maybe I should talk about again. Um, follow me on Twitter at Nerdpool Pod. I'm on Instagram at Nerdpool Podcast. Follow me on Twitch at Nerdpool Gaming. Thank you all again, once again for waiting out the storm with me and being here with me you know people still listening to the podcast while during my hiatus has been you know it's just it warmed my heart um the 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 listeners out there are amazing you guys are awesome so thank you for everything you've done for me thank you for continuing with your support i i can hope hope nothing goes wrong and we can still be here and i can i can do this on a regular basis again and finish out um you know nerd pool horror month and horror horror pool month um because it's so fun to do i love this time of year thank you all for your love thank you for your support again um so for this time that's nerd pool until next time see ya